just so grateful that you're engaged at so many levels. And not only here, right here in this community, but nearby and then far to the far places of the earth. In fact, your pastor Eric is is this morning in Chiang Mai, Thailand, because they're extending the ministry that you already have there. And uh, anytime people are about global, I'm always fired up and excited about it. And I love that you're making disciples here, but you're making disciples everywhere that are reproducing. And so grateful to be here this morning. And I do have a lot of memories here. My son-in-law married up, way up, when he married my daughter. And... uh, But uh, we have some great memories of being here. They're doing great in New Zealand. We were with them in August. They're planting a church down there, and so many of you have helped send them over there and making that happen. Well, I've been following the series, the first message, Missing the Point. I sort of got the point of that one, didn't miss it at all. Last week, you know, Pastor Eric talked about the parable of manure. I noticed online it was changed to fertilizer, uh, but, uh, you know, basically, you don't want to, I got the point on that one, too. In fact, I think I stepped into it a little bit, and uh, so we're, we're right there. I love what Eric did to explain what a parable is, and if you weren't here last Sunday, parable is, is two words. It, it means, it, 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 first of all, the para part of it means uh, to uh, come alongside, and the able part is to toss. And so it's this principle of sort of tossing this lesson aside something to come alongside of it. I couldn't help but think of, of this great movie scene that sort of depicts this idea of coming alongside. We can take them. It's a long way. Toss me. What? I cannot jump the distance. I'll have to toss me. Don't tell the elf. (laughs) Not a word. love that he says, don't tell the elf, <laughs> but tossing alongside, you know, because we got a battle to fight. I, I, I love that, that image there, because even when he says, don't tell the elf, Jesus, you remember his disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 13 and said, why do you tell everything in these stories, these parables? Like, we can't figure out what you're trying to say. And that's exactly why Jesus told it that way. There's power in a story. And a story is something you remember, and then you begin to reflect on it and begin to say, okay, what was that all about? And the disciples were close enough to him that many times Jesus said, okay, I'll tell you what that one was all about. And uh, that's exactly what we're doing is walking through some of these and telling you what they're all about. But I want to tell you this morning that this one that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about three stories, are not real hard to figure out, but pretty significant to apply in our lives. And uh, I want us to just be reminded that God is always speaking to us. And he speaks to us primarily through his word, like that's his great message to us. But his Holy Spirit also comes and lives inside of us, and he speaks to us directly. Like, how crazy is that? How just awesome is it that God is so connected to us that he would send his Holy Spirit to us to live inside of us and to whisper words to us. So here's the challenge for us this morning. 
to be ready to hear what He wants to say to us through His Word, but by His Spirit. One of the prayers that I often do, sometimes it helps me to sort of act out a prayer, is something that was done in ancient times where they would literally begin a prayer by putting their palms down and say, basically, God, I want to let go of all of the distractions, all of the things that would, would deter my thoughts, all of the things that are already on my mind. I just want to let go of those. And then at some point, turning your palms up to say, God, I just want to receive everything you have for me today. I'd like us to do that. And just quietly, if you wouldn't mind extending your hands, you don't have to, but just to figuratively say, Lord, I want to let go of all of those things, people on vacation that you wish you were too, and, you know, just all the things that are on your mind, just say, God, I want to give these to you, and actually go through those in your mind as you pray. Whenever you're ready, turn your hands back over and ask the Lord to give to you whatever you need to receive today. Holy Spirit, you are faithful to speak to us. May we be ready to listen. May we hear what you have for us today. And as Jesus said so many times at the end of these stories, he who has ears to hear, listen. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you three stories, and at the end of the three stories, I'm going to share seven observations. Pretty simple. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, though. Don't look at your Bible as I share these stories. Normally, we would say just the opposite. But these stories were shared in older oral culture, Jesus didn't say, now I'm going to pass out the story and everybody follow along as I read this to you. He just told the story. And there's such power in stories. We have some parts of the world, and much of the world is orality and culture that they tell a lot of stories. And one of the places where we're working in the Turkey Arabic world where we can't even announce the country we're in, they've been working on this and they've been learning stories of Jesus and how to share those stories. A lot of the parables are those kind of stories. One of our guys, Steve, was used a taxi regularly. The guy knew him and, and he just got in a cab one day and had about a 20-minute ride and he said, would it be all right if I shared a story? And the guy was like, sure, love stories. So, so he shared one of the stories of Jesus. At the end of it, he said to the taxi cab driver, he said, I'm really trying to learn how to do this better. Could you tell the story back to me, what you heard, so I know if it got through it all? I go, no, no, I can't. I can't do that. You told the story really, really well. That was a great story. He's going, no, no, it would help me so much if you would tell me the story back so I'd know if it got through and stuff. And he said, no, no, you told the story so well. It's quiet for a couple of minutes, and then the taxi driver started telling the story and told it back exactly as he had told it, like it was incredible. And he, and he said, wow, that was really good. He said, well, you told a good story. Two weeks later, one of the other partner's uh, colleagues got in the same taxi cab. They all know this guy. They use him quite a bit. And he said, you know, I'm practicing learning how to tell stories. And he goes, oh, your friend Steve told a story to me and told him the story back two weeks later and said he'd been telling everybody that had gotten in his cab. These stories that Jesus told in chapter 15 of Luke are those kind of stories you don't forget. And so 
I want to confess that sometimes I blow through the scripture so I can say what I want to say, but not in these kind of stories. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Don't you love when there's a word that sort of captures what it is? Muttered is one of those words. It's just, they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in an open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and comes back to town. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? By the way, I've always wondered, did the husband hide the coins so she would sweep and clean the house? Of course not. And when she finds it, she calls all of her neighbors to herself and says, rejoice, I found the coin. I tell you, all of heaven rejoices over one lost sinner who repents. Jesus continues. There was a man who had two sons. Interesting, in this part of the story, he doesn't say, and loses one. That's what it said about the 99 sheep. The 100 sheep loses one. A man had 100, he loses one. A woman had 10 coins, she loses one. And even though he doesn't say it, you get this impression, whatever's coming can't be good, right? Something's gonna be lost. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. So he divided, the father divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living, reckless living, wild, foolish kind of living, loose, righteous, riotous, extravagant, like a fool. He wasted all of his inheritance. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he hired himself out to one of the locals who actually had him just go out and feed the pigs. And he thought to himself, I want to even eat what they're eating because he was so hungry. He was starving so much. He wanted even what he was feeding to the pigs. And when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And kissed him. Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the fields. And as he came closer to home, he began to hear the sound of of singing and dancing and celebration. And so he said to one of the servants, what's going on? He said, your brother has come home and your father has welcomed him because he's back. Safe and sound. But the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So the father came out to him. And invited him to come in. But he answered his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, you killed the fatted calf. The son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes, he's home and you make a big deal about it. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. I don't think there's any stories that Jesus ever told that have been more impacting in my life. Over the last 10 years or so, I've been engaged with work around the world, and particularly I was in Europe for a few years, which I've sort of labeled the prodigal continent, this continent which once sent missionaries to this country, North America region. We wouldn't be sitting in a church today had it not been for Europe sending missionaries is now almost completely lost, less than 3% Christ followers in this population of 750 million. Less than 3%. Magnificent cathedrals. Very few attenders. And very few life change people. And this story has gripped me not only for that, but in so many other ways. So I want to share with you these seven observations. There's a foundational audience context to this. And you find that in verses 1 and 2, where it says that the the Pharisees are grumbling. (laughs) They're muttering. This man eats, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him. I just want to ask this question. Would anybody ever make that accusation about you? That you welcome sinners and eat with them? 
do you? There was something about eating with people that goes to a deep level of intimacy. It was one thing to welcome them. It was a whole other thing to actually eat with them. Jesus didn't have a home, right? So he was in their homes. That's even worse. It's one thing if you accidentally invite a sinner into your house, you know, but to go to theirs. I mean, what might be on the walls? What might be laying around? What, you know, I mean, you just don't do that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus went into the intimacy of their homes. If he'd had a home, he would have invited them in. Some of his friends sort of sponsored a home for him at times, and he would often have sinners come into his home. That's the context of these three stories. There's muttering going on, and he's trying to say, you don't get it. You don't get it. Here's the second observation. Being lost is not always a matter of distance. The sheep wandered away, right? It's taken off. It's wandering. Sheep are pretty dumb. I mean, I don't know if you've been around sheep much. We were just in New Zealand. There's far more sheep in New Zealand than there are people. Um, and they're everywhere. It's so beautiful. When you see them on a hillside, it's like, oh, that's so cute. And then you see them on another hillside. Oh, that's really, there's another one. There's another one, another one, another one. After a while, you're like, I can't stand seeing all these sheep, you know. And wherever you walk, it's like, oh, I just stepped in it again, you know. Uh, Would have gone with the message last week. Uh, and, and it's just, it, you know, and so it wandered off. But the coin didn't wander off, right? The coin was still in the house. Lost, but can't find it. Anybody ever lose their keys? And were they some bizarre place? No, they were somewhere in the house, right? I mean, you know, like we, we hang our keys up so I can find them most of the time, you know? I mean, I, I mean, it's just, that's how it is. And the coin's there, it didn't go away, but it was just as lost, just as lost. So it's not only a matter of distance. You can be far away and never really have gone anywhere. Or you can be a long ways away. Either way, you're lost. One of the most difficult relationships I think I've ever had in my life was with one of the guys that was part of a leadership focus that I did. Uh, he was part of a discipleship that I had. He always talked about the accountability he had. He had moved from another state. And every Monday night, he talked to his old accountability partners, make sure he was on the straight and narrow, make sure he was following through on principles of life, making sure, and he talked about it all the time, like his accountability relationships and wanted to develop that locally and did a little bit locally. He had pulled a couple other guys. They checked in with each other's lives all the time. And, and uh, I remember he was just one of those guys you wanted on your team. He was on my team, so supportive, so encouraging, one of the future leaders of the church. One day we found out that he actually was living a double life. He traveled for business and would often add a couple days on the beginning or a couple days on the end to meet up with not just one person somewhere else in the States, but multiple people, multiple affairs. I would have said he was a found person. He couldn't have been more lost. And he was right in the midst of it. I'm thinking of a friend this morning that long-term pastor but carried a secret even though he seemed to be inside all the time. The sheep was way off. The coin was right in the house. The younger son was a long ways away but the older son was still right in the house. 
Here's the third observation. There's a mounting sense of intensity in the stories. Do you catch this? The first one starts off, it's 100 sheep and you lose one. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not real good at math. That's a 1% loss, right? I mean, okay, any math teachers here? The next story, you got 10 coins and you lose one. That's 10% loss. And by the way, these coins were not just a pocket change. These coins were a symbol of a covenant love. They were like an engagement ring, okay? So, so, so it's significant. So you go from 1% to a 10% loss. Then you come up to this last story, and it looks like there's only two, right? And you lose 50, but what the reality is, you've lost 100% of these two boys, right? One goes a long ways away. One's just lost at home. And so the intensity of that story just gets deeper and deeper. One's about a sheep. One's about a coin. One's about a son. With a sheep, it's a commodity. It's, it's just something you grow. You can replace a sheep. You lose one, like, I look at that and go, man, let it go. I mean, 1% one per, I mean, loss, that's not a bad business loss, but it was that important. He went out and chased after that sheep and, and wanted to bring it back, but it was just, it's a commodity. You can replace a sheep. I maybe knew each one by name, and he knew that one was Harold, but Harold was always wandering around, but he comes back with it, right? Now, the stakes are a lot higher for the woman. Like, you lose one of your coins, you know, like anybody ever lost, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever lost your engagement ring or wedding band? I mean, hello, that's not a good thing, right? But you might not be able to replace that exact one, but you can replace that too. You got a commodity. You got a marriage covenant symbol. So significant. But then there's son. Irreplaceable. The intensity of it grows with urgency, with emotion. The stakes are so much higher when you get to the third story. So much higher. Because the sheep... So what? A coin, even if you never replace it. So what? Son? This one matters forever. This one matters forever. So Jesus gives him a little soft pitch and then raises the intensity, raises the emotion. Everybody's drawn in at a far different level, which brings us to the fourth one. Story three involves a radical strategy change. Up to this point, it's been search and rescue. You know what? We lost the sheep. What are we gonna do? We gotta, we'll leave 99 behind and we gotta go get this sheep, right? We're gonna go out there. We're gonna get this thing. We're gonna bring it back in. We gotta find this sheep, right? It's a search and rescue operation. That one's lost. Let's go get it. 10 coins somewhere in the house. Man, it is all out. Everybody out of the house. She lights the light. She's going around. She's sweeping up. She's cleaning up. Found the coin. You know, it's search and rescue. We're not going to do anything until we find that coin. Man, it's like missing a diamond out of your diamond ring, you know? I mean, we got to find this, right? That's the strategy. I like that kind of strategy. I want a clear strategy. Let's go fix this thing. Let's go find this thing. Let's bring it back. But when you come to the third story, it's instead of search and rescue, I title it release and longing. 
he lets the son go. The son comes up and says, give me my share of the estate, which wouldn't have been as great as his older brother. The older brother got all of it. I'm the youngest of three boys, getting nothing out of this old deal, you know? And nothing left over. And, 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 and here's the oldest. He's gonna get the most, right? So the younger son says, give me my share. He's basically saying to his dad, I wish you were already dead so I could have this, but you're not, so can I have it now? And, this, and the father gives it to him. Like, how crazy is that? And by the way, he didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll take my inheritance. You know, I mean, there, there, there must have been some problems along the way, right? The dad wasn't like shocked by this request. I think he knew his son. And so he releases his money, releases his son. Does he know what he's gonna do? Yeah, I think so. I think he knew his son. I think he knew probably where he would go. But there's no search and rescue. But do not consider this, this posture of releasing and longing as passive. In fact, when you read this story, as you listen to it, when the son finally comes to his senses and he's making his way, it says when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I think... That father played out the scene in his mind over and over again. What would I do if he ever comes home? I think he could close his eyes and say, I can see him coming. What will I do? I don't think this was a spontaneous act like, oh, there he is. I think I'll run to him and, and throw all these things. No, 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 no. I think when he saw him, he had played that out in his mind over and over again because he had such a longing in his heart for that son to one day come home that he had prepared himself if that ever happens. I know exactly what I'll do. One eye on the farm. One eye on, you know, this guy's a wealthy guy. He's got a lot of business going. One eye on all that business, but one eye on the road that his son might come home on. And when he sees him, he runs to him. Not in that culture, you don't. That was such a, disgusting thing really to do. You would never take an honorable man and have him run, especially to a boy like this. The son hardly gets out any words, right? And he just says to his servants, go get a robe, go get a ring, go get some sandals. I mean, he took one look at him. The guy still smells like a pig, right? And, and he's throwing all this stuff on him. And, the, and the, the son says, I'm not worthy. And he goes, I don't care, you're back. And he has this amazing, amazing engagement. Now, why is this different? Because there's a part of me that says, man, if the son's lost, you especially do a search and rescue, right? Like that kid needs help. We gotta go find him. We gotta bail him out. We gotta, he's gonna get in trouble. He could die out there. And there's this thing called the will that God's placed in us. Some people call it the free will. It's not free at all. In fact, left to itself, it will almost always go evil. But that father knew, that father knew that that son had made choices and he wouldn't force his choices on him. I don't quite understand this about God. And I sometimes wish it was different. He doesn't force his will on us. 
He allows us to make really stupid choices. He allows us to make really great choices. But he will not force us to do things. He's made me pretty uncomfortable at times. (laughs) But he says, if that's where you choose to go, But he longs for us to be close. He longs for us to come home. He longs for us to experience his love. He longs for us to put aside all this stuff. I think releasing is one of the most painful things that you can ever do in life. When you've invested your life into somebody, maybe a disciple that that God's enabled you to really help to grow and they somehow go off the deep end and choose to go their own way. No much that breaks a heart more than that. As a parent, perhaps you've had that experience where one of your children has gone away from God And you had to just say, okay, I can't force them to say. I can't make them love God. I'm not sure there's much more painful experience than that. Some of you have had a spouse like that where you're just like, you know, man. And they're just choosing to go their own way. I've read lots of books about prodigals. You know, most of the books that I read... I, I read them to find a formula to get the, the prodigal back, right? I, I, I want to I fix this. I want, I, want, I want the answer. Somebody give me a five-step process to how to win them back. And every book that I read is basically stories, attempts that, that don't work, failures aplenty, a few successes, but no random. it's just random why they were even successful that, you know, I did this and it actually worked. What I read more than anything else is sadness, and mourning and longing. And longing isn't something you can quantify. One of our fields, uh, different than the one I talked about earlier, but still in the Turkic Arabic world, the, the missionaries that are serving there could not be more focused. They have the best prayer ministries of anywhere we have in the world. And we have good prayer ministries in a lot of places. There's no place where the prayer is so intense as that place. They are bold in their witness. In fact, just two weeks ago now, one of our guys, who's probably one of the bolder ones, still careful, we have a clear platform of why we're there. We teach English and other things. When he got to the border, he and his wife, his wife was let through and he was blacklisted and he'll never be able to go back again. And the only thing we can attribute it to is he's been pretty bold with a young university student who came to Christ and we think somebody blacklisted him because of that. So they're not shy about their witness. But there are years where only two or three people come to Christ. And there are people who will say, well, they must not have the right strategy. No, they have an amazing strategy always learning, always asking the question, can we do something different? Will something else work? 
and I've watched them give their report on their work and how God used the English classes in amazing ways and how God used this outreach they had to trafficking issues in amazing ways and and then they come to the, how many times they've shared their faith and 150 clear presentations of the gospel in this past year. And two people who came to Christ. And as they share the report, Tears streaming down their face. Because they long for it to be so different. They long for people to come to Christ in amazing numbers. And you know what? They're, they're friends with people who work in another part of the world where you, a team comes from a church like this and they send down to do vacation Bible school, you know. And, and, and every, every day, 200 kids come to Christ and they share Christ. And during the week, 500 of the 200 come to Christ. I mean, it, it's crazy the results that they see, you know. And it just seems so easy and it seems so like, wow, you know. And there they are just so strategically sharing their faith and engaging with people and building relationships and loving people. And two people come to Christ. And longings are deeper than goals, and they're deeper than strategies, and they superseded. And somehow, somehow, I think one of the things that God is trying to express to us, that's his heart. There's no strategy to bring somebody who willfully chooses against him, but that does not change the longing of his heart. Some of you have had people, because you've had a child away from the Lord, quote the proverb that says, well, train up a child in the way you should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I just want to tell you that's a proverb, not a promise. And for those who have experienced what it is to have a child away, it is no point of hope that one day, you know, right before they die, they'll somehow come back. Because they long for him to live every day with Christ. Proverbs is written because two plus two equals four. But Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job are written because two plus four doesn't two plus two doesn't always equal four. Sometimes it doesn't work out. You have this perfect family and it all gets blown up in Job. And guess what? That doesn't seem very right. Even as we sang Good, Good Father this morning, I'm so grateful for the chorus part that says you are perfect in all of your ways. They're beyond me. Even as Hunter reminded, we don't always understand God, but we can love him because he's perfect in all of his ways. And some of you are left with only a longing because you've tried this and you've tried that and you've written this letter and you've begged this and you've offered this and you've tried to bail out and, and all that's left is a longing. But the Father is looking down the road. He's looking down the road. Here's a fifth thought. Just because you left it doesn't mean you can't come home. Just because you left doesn't mean you can't come home. The father knew that if he ever saw the son return, it would be because he had made a choice. He, he, he had come to his senses. 
And the father never stopped loving his son. The father never stopped loving his son. Some of you may have wandered off. Or maybe you're right home, but you've wandered off. I don't remind you, just because you left, it doesn't mean you can't come home. Here's the sixth one. Just because you never left, it doesn't mean you were ever at home. The reality is that there are some here today who show up every week, but you're not home. You're not home. Somehow you've wandered, never left, lost, right at home. Here's a final point. There's a place at the table for everyone. There's a place at the table for everyone. Leonard Sweet, who's part of our Wesleyan roots, studied the Amish. And you know, the Amish are an interesting group of people. Maybe you're familiar with them, maybe you're not. A lot of them are here in Indiana. When a son gets to be at that age where he might want to sow some wild oats, they actually encourage it in the Amish culture. In fact, sometimes they'll even give them money to wander off. Because they know that if they sort of sow their wild oats and get that over with and come to their senses, they'll be in the culture forever. And so they actually sort of can't quite get my head around this, encourage them to go do that and get it over with so they'll come home. But in every Amish home, if that son leaves, every meal, they put a plate out. So that at that moment he comes home, there's a place at the table. Didn't come home at lunch. It's time for supper. They put the plate out again. And everybody's reminded that someone's missing. But when he comes home, we're ready. There's always a place at the table. Because there is a father who loves us. And will run to us if we'll make the turn. That kind of love is something I cannot understand. I can't explain. But I know it by experience. Because I was lost. And he found me. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. And he made me alive in Christ.
thought about it this morning as I was praying. How could I best pray for you today? Some of you have one of those lost ones in your life. Could be a child. Could be a spouse. Could be a parent. Could be a friend who was so connected to you at one time, so deeply connected to God, and now just... Maybe it's not way out there, but you know there's a disconnect. Could be you are that person. You're here today and you're not even sure why. Maybe you're here a lot of Sundays and you're just keeping peace with somebody else or somehow there's a stirring in your life that you just think, I maybe should be there could be that you're not a long ways off out there but you know that you're really away from God even though you look right do right something inside of here is really really lost titled this message lost love longing because as far as you might be lost there's a love that never changes and there's a longing of the father to draw you close I ask you to just bow your heads for a second, please. We all ask God to say whatever he wanted to say this morning. And I trust that he's spoken to you. He knows you completely. I don't know you, but I'd love to pray for you this morning. So I'm going to ask you to do a very simple thing in a moment. I'm going to ask you to just look up and when I tell you, make eye contact with me so that I can pray for you. I won't know the need, but I'll just sense that God's working and doing what he wants to do and that he'll empower the prayer that I pray. So starting over here on my right, your left, if you'd like me to pray for you this morning, just make eye contact. It's a little bit dark. If you wouldn't mind just waving your hand a little bit, you don't have to hold it up. But yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. A little further back. Yep. Yeah. Coming across this first center section here. That's you. Yeah, thanks. Next center section here. Final section, my left, your right. That's you. God's spoken to you and you want me to pray for you this morning. God, you've seen these hands, you've seen these eyes, you've seen their hearts. So lead me as I pray. 
can't help but believe that there's some here this morning who are carrying the load of a loved one who's a long way away. Not by distance, but by choices, by heart, by just a wandering that seems to be going on. God, would you meet those people? Would you deepen their longing and remind them of how close that is to who you are? Would you remind them that in that longing, they probably don't have the ability to fix what they feel and what they really want. But somehow you hear their cry and you understand that longing in a way that's far deeper than what they can even understand. I pray for those, Lord, who may have just felt challenged this morning that they're wandering, not paying attention, that there's this love that's overwhelming and you're already waiting to, to receive them back. God, would you just... Would you do that in your grace this morning? Holy Spirit, would you so remind them that you are available, that you're running to them even now, even as they turned a little bit, you're running to them and you're welcoming them back. And you, you welcome sinners. You eat with them. You, you draw them back in and you celebrate the connection. Lord, you long for that. There are a whole host of very specific other needs that people are responding to this morning. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you spoke to us. Would you seal what you said to us today? Would you prompt us where we need to maybe pray about that issue? Would you prompt us that you're aware? Would you remind us that you are perfect in all of your ways, that we can trust you? And even when it seems like this can't be perfect, this is just so, so wrong. Remind us that you're the shepherd who rescues the lost sheep, that you're the, the woman, the, 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 the married woman who lost a coin and did whatever it took to receive it. And you're the father who waits. You're the father who loves, who longs, who's defined us by the fact that he loves us. Thank you. Thank you for these stories. Thank you for your heart so deeply illustrated through them. As you seal these, these thoughts this morning, there's action we need to take that empower that. And for all you do, we will say thank you. And we want to love you in return for this amazing love you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.